It is Monday, July 8th, and this is the High Times News Hit. I'm Mike Hughes. We're discussing the top pod stories from the U.S. and around the world, so let's get started. It's the Monday after 4th of July weekend, and uh, we've got a story of U.S. independence coming up. But let's begin with Mayor Bloomberg's continuing efforts to take away the freedom of New Yorkers. News Hit listeners might remember that last week we discussed New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg calling medical marijuana a hoax. And of course, the uh, reaction to that from former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. Well, Bloomberg made marijuana news once again, this time for his defense of the NYPD's stop-and-frisk program that has come under fire for being racially biased. I want to play a clip of what Bloomberg said about the program, but first, it's important to give a little background on the ongoing saga of Stop and Frisk for those who may be a bit unfamiliar. Now, the Stop and Frisk program is not inherently an anti-marijuana program. In fact, the Bloomberg administration has framed it as an anti-gun program, basically a means to take guns off the streets by stopping anyone who looks suspicious and then frisking them. However, in 2011, it was revealed that despite the fact that marijuana is decriminalized in New York State and has been since 1977, the stop-and-frisk policy was directly responsible for a staggering increase in pot possession arrests. In fact, under Bloomberg's tenure, New York City has become the pot arrest capital of the world. It was also revealed that in 2010, 87% of people arrested for pot possession in New York were black or Latino. But while the program has been criticized for being racially biased, Mayor Bloomberg dug in and defended Stop and Frisk. His most recent defense came last week when he said this on WOR Radio. Is this business, as a couple of, uh, uh, one newspaper and one news service, they just keep saying, oh, it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular ethnic group. That may be, but it's not a disproportionate percentage of those who witnesses and victims describe as committing the murder. In that case, incidentally, I think we disproportionately stop whites too much and minorities too little. Well, it's exactly I, the reverse of what they say. They are, I, I don't know where they went to school, but they certainly didn't take a math course. Well, ex- exactly so. Or a logic course. Ah, that was nice and snippy at the end. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Bloomberg's point is that because a large percentage of violent crime suspects in New York are described as black, it should therefore stand to reason that a large percentage of black people are being stopped and frisked. But that reasoning strikes many as a bit dishonest, as stop and frisk is not really used to go after specific crime suspects. Here's a clip from The Brian Lair Show with Village Voice reporter Graham Raymond discussing just how accurately Bloomberg is portraying that stop and frisk program. The mayor's remarks were based on a comparison between the percentage of people of color stopped and the percentage of violent crimes uh, people of color are suspected of. Um, But is that how stops are determined? I have a feeling it isn't such a neat one-to-one comparison that you're only stopped. These 500 or 600,000-plus stops in the last few years were only specifically of people who matched a description of an individual who was actually being sought. Yeah, the, the reality is that uh, it's, it's that the percentage of people who are stopped because they fit the description of a suspect is much smaller than other categories, which are much more vague. For example, in the first quarter of 2013, uh, the number of uh, fits description of suspect stops totaled just 17,000. Uh, furtive gesture, which which is a very vague category that I still don't quite understand, 
which could could mean anything, uh, were more than 50,000. And uh, stops for peop- of people because they were in a high crime area was more than 60,000. So uh, he's he's uh, over simplifying or kind of distorting the, the what the the full numbers show. Well, regardless of the math here, the takeaway for the marijuana community is that this program that Bloomberg is going to the wall to defend has led to a 16-fold increase in pot possession arrests, primarily of people of color. To most observers, this is not a program that takes violent suspects off the streets. It's a program that creates nonviolent criminals. And it will be Bloomberg's legacy, which probably explains why he's framing it the way he's trying to frame it. All right, enough of New York's dysfunctional relationship with marijuana. Let's talk about America's dysfunctional relationship with marijuana. Uh, According to a recent United Nations report, domestically grown marijuana is increasingly replacing imported pot in America. That is probably not news to you, the listener. Uh, But unfortunately, the increase in homegrown pot brings with it an increase in marijuana seizures. And that's not seizures caused by marijuana, that is marijuana seized by the government. The amount of pot seized annually in the U.S. now consistently exceeds pot seized in Mexico. 2009 marked the very first year that the U.S. outseized Mexico when it comes to pot. Additionally, the U.S. government is burning millions upon millions of marijuana plants every year as seizures continue to rise. Interestingly, the number of indoor pot plants eradicated by the U.S. jumped from about 200,000 in 2002 to an all-time high of 462,000 in 2010. The U.S. is usually known for its outdoor plant eradication, and uh, during that same time period, from 2002 to 2010, outdoor plant eradication in the U.S. tripled, and the government destroyed close to 10 million pot plants in 2010 alone. All this is occurring despite recent polling that shows for the first time ever a majority of Americans, 52%, now favor legalization of recreational marijuana. Kind of makes you wonder what the fuck they're doing. Okay, so the good news is that was the last negative story we're going to cover on this episode of the High Times News Hit. We're keeping it positive, so let's discuss some positive news. On July 1st, Vermont's marijuana decriminalization bill took effect. The bill was signed into law by Vermont Governor Peter Shulman on June 6th after receiving support from the state legislature and attorney general. Under the new law, possession of up to an ounce of pot or five grams of hash is no longer a criminal offense. Instead, if you are busted with pot in Vermont, you will now face a $200 fine for your first offense. Now with this bill, Vermont joins a string of states in the Northeast with marijuana decrim bills on the books, including Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New York. So you're up, New Hampshire. Let's make it happen. And speaking of Northeast states, last week Maine added post-traumatic stress disorder to the list of qualifying conditions that can legally be treated with medical marijuana. In addition to PTSD, the bill, aptly named Act to Add Conditions That Qualify for Medical Marijuana Use, also approved inflammatory bowel disease and conditions causing severe muscle spasms as ailments that can now be treated with medical pot. The original version of that bill would have allowed doctors to prescribe pot for any condition they felt would benefit from medical cannabis. Unfortunately, the Maine Medical Association objected to allowing physicians to use their discretion, and the bill was changed. Maine voters first approved marijuana as medicine in 1999. And sticking with medical marijuana, there was good news for Israeli medical pot patients as Rabbi Zalmanovich, I hope I'm saying that somewhat correctly, uh, declared that 
If pot is given to a patient to relieve pain, the provider is performing a mitzvah. And that's a good thing. And additionally, uh, the person smoking pot is doing so in a kosher fashion. So, smoking medical marijuana is kosher. Unfortunately, Zalmanovich isn't okay with recreational marijuana use, as he added, taking drugs to escape this world in any excessive way is certainly forbidden. So that's a bit of a bummer. Okay, so let's finish this show with a little celebrity news, and a guy who most definitely enjoys a little recreational pot every now and again. Bill Maher revealed an unknown fact about his college years in a recent episode of his show, Real Time. But when I was in college, and, and first in New York, make, trying to live as a comedian, I sold pot. I mean, I was a pot dealer. I had to be for the exact reason you say in your movie, economic necessity. Yeah. I never smoked it in high school, but once I started, I couldn't afford it unless I dealt it. And I never felt I hurt anybody by doing this. Well, I hurt some people because I did sort of like um, cheat them a little, because I remember I used to buy, I was, again, the low-level guy who bought two pounds. I had a dealer in Pennsylvania who had great prices. I'd buy two pounds, which was 32 ounces, and I, I could still see pouring it out on my desk and dividing it into 33. You fiend. You fiend. That's, that was called the head tax. So I did cheat people a little. It should have been 32 ounces. Well, but that's, that's I, business. That's thank you. That's how you do it. Thank you for absolving me, Rabbi. I'm telling you, the man is stoner of the year material. Alright, uh, those are the top pot stories from the U.S. and around the world. Perhaps you've noticed that we're posting episodes at an alarming rate and getting dangerously close to becoming a weekly podcast. We'll see what happens. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at MikeHughes underscore. And uh, many thanks to everyone who liked the News Hit Facebook page. I think two people clicked that thumbs up button, rocketing the page to 17 likes. The sky is now officially the limit. This has been the High Times News Hit. I'm Mike Hughes. 